perhaps the most memorable encounter I've had with anyone. Welcome to the Own Your Commerce podcast, where leading experts, brands, and innovators reveal strategies for e-commerce growth. I'm your host, Jay Myers, and this show is brought to you by Bold Commerce. Mayor, I am super excited to have you on our show. I know you've been in the commerce space for, I think, close to 20 years. You've got an extremely rich history in commerce. You've worked at a ton of roles, which we're going to get into, from everything from data entry to development to being a CTO. You've worked with small business, medium business, venture-backed unicorns, Fortune 500 companies. I think you've got, you're going to have some great perspective on some things. So first of all, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. And can you give us a little bit of background on you, who, who you are and how did you get to this point in life? Yeah, so uh, thanks for having me on, Jay. Great to meet you. Big fan of what you're doing. So how I got here is I got my start in e-commerce and retail. My parents had a big Halloween store in New York City growing up. So imagine like a year-round costume store and gothic boutique. So like a city block long of just costumes and madness. And so as you can understand, it's uh, seasonably very busy, right? Certain times of year, extremely busy. And so I got my start at like age 14 in the back office, working on like purchase orders and data entry type stuff and, you know, just helping out in general. And then as I got older, like, you know, like late teens. So first, let me run it back. They had an e-commerce starting in 2002 and, you know, they were early adopters and it was based more on their POS system. So it was omni-channel before it was omni-channel. You know, it was called Omnichannel. And then basically, I got my start working there. So, you know, like doing also like shipping, receiving, and then eventually was the head of IT and had, was managing the website. So I was also helping with like the IT infrastructure, like managing the servers and the registers and that kind of stuff and networking. And then eventually was running the website for a period. And so I was answering phones, packing, you know, UPS labels, shipping orders, fighting chargebacks all the nines, and then also trying to do like front-end web development and started teaching myself that. And that was how I got, once I left there, I got to go work for a pure play online retailer in 2010. And that was when I got my hands on like AdWords and more like, you know, it was a very successful company, but small. So it was kind of like a sandbox learning environment and just got exposed to so much more. And then in the end of the first year there, we moved to Magento and I was tasked with that project. So I got fully enmeshed in that world, went to Imagine. And then, you know, was responsible for managing and maintaining that website with the team, of course. But like, that was my big foray into pure play e-commerce. Yeah. And that was like, and then at the end of those four years is when I started my company. So like, that's when I knew what I wanted to do and went headlong into development. So you were 14 when you said it was your parents' store? Yeah. I was 13 and my parents had a archery store, like bow and arrow archery. I worked it till I, and then when I was 18 and in 98, started selling the stuff online, eventually grew it and then started bold in 2012. Oh, wow. But like, it's funny, like starting in retail, I think gives you so much, so many skills. Like you, you, you wear all these hats, like you do the finance, you do the marketing, you do the customer service, you do the everything. And so like those skills you, you have, like they're critical, but that you only gain them in like a family business like that. Exactly. And like you get a lot of empathy for different people's roles. And it was the same thing when I left the family business and went to work at the, the kitchen, bath, and lighting company called Home Perfect, it was the same thing, right? We were supporting the, the direct phone sales. We were supporting the customer service team, hearing all these issues and, you know, like really learning what the troubles the customers go through as well gave me a lot of perspective, which I feel like 
not everyone who's in an agency or is a developer goes through. And because I came in like through the back door, like I, you know, I didn't finish college. I dropped out. I had a family very young. I started a family very young. And so I just became more like practical mindset and uh, was self-taught when it came to front-end development. And then as I started my own company in 2014, I started this company. I went out freelancing and I was still focused on being a developer. And I'm sure we'll get into it, but that's how I got to work with some of these different size companies and how it progressed that way. Do you have any any life lessons or like anything that you really take from those years working in in retail that you now like you carry with you for the rest of your life that you think is like a skill or or something that made you who you are that's really valuable? Yeah, I would just say that just kind of like, you know, like like I said the multi the multifaceted appreciation for all the different jobs and roles that people have and then how it pertains to the ability to service e-commerce brands and e-commerce merchants now because I think that's what kind of I don't know how to like quantify it or put it in a bottle but yeah. I've just realized like because I never was tainted by working for an agency and having billable hours practices in my mindset from the start, like, you know, like I got into it to help. I, got, I started my company to help people and I was like, oh, I like making websites and I was just passionate about it. And yeah. of course, now I wish I would have done some things differently. You know, you're <laughs> seeing everyone else becoming millionaires. But basically, I think the life lesson is just, yeah, have more empathy. Try to like put yourself in someone else's shoes because that goes a long way for. Yeah. And once again, it's been a lot of learning to do that. You know, I've like had a lot of teaching moments where I needed to be more empathetic. So I'm not saying I've mastered it by any means, but I just mean like try to put yourself in someone else's shoes and see it from their eyes is always like a great way to get an understanding. That's also a customer service, obviously. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And that's probably also why you've been able to deal with so many different types of companies and all ends of the spectrum. I'm curious, can you tell us a little bit about some of the some of the brands you work with, you mentioned the one was a venture-backed unicorn and Fortune 500 company. Can you sorry, Fortune 500 company? Yeah, so it's an interesting story. And once again, I can be thankful to Magento and some of the connections I made. So, like, um, I don't know if you've heard of a software called Unergy. They're one of the oldest extension makers in the Magento ecosystem. Boris Gurvich, who was one of the creators of Magento, actually one of the original Varian team members, left after helping create Magento in the 09, 08, whenever that was, founded Unergy. They had a, a soft a software platform called U Dropship, U Rapid Flow, and then U Marketplace was what it evolved into, which is a full marketplace software. They're still around. They're really enterprise now. But basically, I knew them through my work at the other company. And then this company called Weed Maps, which is now a publicly traded company. Um, you probably know of them in Canada too. But basically, they're in the cannabis sector. And this was late 2014, early 2015. I just started my business in October of 2014. So nine year anniversary coming up. And you know, like I got recommended as a developer or vendor, whatever, to the CTO of Weed Maps. And they were building like an in-house, like they were trying to build like the next Amazon, but of like paraphernalia and accessories, but then also some kind of wholesale marketplace for California, then, you know, on the the B2B side of the industry. And um, so I got brought in the project. Magento was a software. It was 2015. And I got exposed to a whole world of actual enterprise software development, those kind of practices like product manager, the creative director, and like full agile and like release cycles. And like it was totally eye opening because to that point, I'd been, you know, running a Magento site using FTP, wasn't a master of Git or version control, was like, you know, that I was missing certain fundamentals, but we, did some great work. 
Yeah. And I was, you know, I, I became a, a, I think I became a certified front end developer by that point. But then basically I worked for this master CTO there who had like, you know, an ex Microsoft background and it was, he was like a really sharp guy and I actually learned back end and object oriented programming and challenged myself to new horizons. And so it was really a great environment. And also it was obviously a time when that company was transitioning from a startup to enterprise. And yeah. I spent a lot of time in Irvine, California. So it was really formative. For me, and then of course they went on to be like a billion dollar company and go public. And obviously, you know, once you go public, there's a lot of different things, but they're still a dominant player in the industry. And so that was just a really formative part of my career because I got to work in that kind of environment too, and really opened my eyes to a lot of things. And that was actually how, after leaving there, I was there for like two years, and I was like, hey, I'm we're working remote. I don't, you know, like the things, the situation was changing. I didn't want to. I wasn't on the development team anymore. And so basically, I was getting recruited by this job for like a year. And I finally, by the way, good advice the recruiter gave me, but use it at your own risk, is when you're getting a job interview, don't think about if you want the job. Try to win the job so that you can think about if you want the job. Like, yes, evaluate and get a feeling, but your goal is to be the most attractive candidate possible. Mm -hmm. Obviously, that can result in a bad fit. So what happened was I got hired by this company called Nobel Biocare, which is like a multi-billion dollar dental tech company owned by the Danaher Group. And the Danaher Group, I looked it up yesterday, is like 132 on the Fortune 500 or something. So yeah. imagine I'm now went from working from a startup going to enterprise to now a, you know, a tiny cog in a massive machine. So I took this job. I was hired as a PHP, like you know, a software developer. Yeah. And I think they thought I was, you know, like gonna be this like hot shit master PHP backend developer. And I told them like, hey, I'm an expert at the platform. I'm really good with this. And by the way, I logged into the Magento dashboard like first day I'm working there, 900 something million lifetime sales. And I was like, holy smoke. Like, <laughs> you know, coming from Magento, you've like never seen that before. And then so basically I got hired and fired in 60 days. In between, I took a trip <laughs> to Switzerland to go to the parent company. I worked in a factory in Mawa, New Jersey. Like imagine a big manufacturing plant for dental implants, but like there was offices there too. And it was just me and another guy. And meanwhile, the team we were working for was in Switzerland. And so that was kind of my moment after that yeah. happened when I was like, first of all, I left a, a good, a well-paying job for a slightly worse paying job where I had to commute 80 miles a day because I thought like, oh, I want to elevate my career. I want to keep growing and go work for a big corporate and, you know, big mistake. And then basically from that moment on, I was like, hey, I never want to work for anyone ever again. Obviously, perspectives evolved, but I'm saying like, I'm going to go full force into my company. And then the other yeah. thing I decided was like, hey, if I'm here working with top CTOs, creators of platforms, and we get along well, and I understand both the technical requirements and the, you know, like, by the way, learned some really cool headless architecture while working at Weed Maps too, which was eye-opening back then. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, if I'm working with these brilliant people, and helping execute their vision, and I know how to work with the business folks, I need to position myself here. Because as a developer, you know, at the top of the pyramid, because what I didn't like as a developer was that I used the pendulum analogy. So you know how a pendulum and a grandfather clock swings from the top? Yeah, the yeah, top yeah. is moving very little, but the bottom is swinging in wide arcs. So you could be working so hard as a developer, but then someone at the top says, you know what, I don't like the look of this website. I'm canceling the project. So all your six months of hard work you spent building something can go out the window in an instant. And I was like, I'd rather be the person influencing that from the top 
than be the victim of circumstances on the bottom or put my heart and passion into something where they're being told like, hey, you stay in your corner, go develop software for 12 hours. This is none of your concern. That really doesn't jive with my worldview. So that's how the agency was born. Like that's how the company pivoted to being an agency instead of just me freelancing as a developer or taking on projects like that. Yeah. Well, and now you do consulting with brands and also a digital agency, correct? Yeah. So how it works is I have a vision for my company. Uh, Two years ago or three years ago, I did a podcast with Kaylin where I said, hey, I'm building a juggernaut, right? Like it takes time. But basically my vision for the company is to be a conglomerate. So with myself as like, let's just say a lead consultant, I want to grow myself as a personal brand and consultancy, but then, and you know, be able to share my knowledge and work with teams, et cetera. But Mm -hmm. then the company does design development, like the agency side, design development, digital marketing, uh, with a focus on e-commerce, but also yeah. we can build web applications and understand next generation technologies. And generally, we're, we focus on Magento, Adobe Commerce, and Shopify and Shopify Plus, but also service big commerce. And we have a growing partnership with Shopware. And so just really just passionate about the ecosystem. And um, then the other piece is I also have an ambition to get involved with brands, own my own brands one day and apply the e-commerce knowledge mm. to prosper in the field of e-commerce. That's something that's more of like a, you know, like when you've been wanting to do something, but you're trying to figure out how to put your best foot forward. But there's a vision, but it's obviously when you have a broader vision, you're going to have more challenges. So, you know, it's exciting, but I'm, you know, I'm really passionate about where it's going, but just, it's been obviously been an arduous three years for everyone. So, (laughs) well, I'm curious, you know, agency and consulting work, we used to have an agency side at Bold. Like now we're just a, a pure product company, but we had a, a pretty big, professional services part of the company. And I, I remember like that was always, it's hard. It's cutthroat. It's you're, you're working with clients and like, you know, they, they can be hard. And what are some of the reasons you think that you've been successful with your agency? Well, number one, you have to be resilient. I've had a lot of ups and downs, right? Like, so I would say success is a reflection of how you treat yourself and how you look at things. And two, I would just say that the number one thing is you have to have faith in yourself and your team and not give up, right? Because there's going to be so many difficult moments and I've had them and you just have to grow from those moments. And like, obviously, like we all go through personal, professional challenges. And when you're running your own business, like I'm a solo entrepreneur, you have no one, like while I have great people around me and I've been benefit, you know, had the benefit of so many good advisors or so many good people along the way, it's really been like a self-inflicted wound the whole time. Meaning yeah. like anything that good happens is a reflection, anything that bad that happens is a reflection. And so it's a lot of like eating a slice of humble pie all the time because <laughs> every day. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, yeah. but it's also being able to be okay with that and still know, hey, we're doing good. Or hey, for example, I'm a parent and I, you know, I have five kids. And so I, you know, and I don't really, I'm not one of the people that like post pictures of my kid on LinkedIn or anything like that. But like I think because I've been a parent since the age of 23, that's the only life I know. And that's like my driving internal compass is this like never ending like engine to support my family. And so it's kind of also like dual double sided coin because it's like I don't have a backup plan, you know? So it's like quitting is not an option. But at the same time, you know, as you know, it's cutthroat, business is fragile. So you just have to, you know, I'm just, I'm just counting my blessings every day and just trying to get better every day. One of the, like, after that time, I told you I got hired and fired in 60 days and kind of got felt broken as a person, you know, making an income to going to zero overnight was really hard. 
But then this yep. was also a hard moment because, you know, it felt like a, it was violating and it was also like a big learning moment on how to uh, better protect ourselves in the future. And then 2021 was just kind of like the mindset of rebuilding that. 2022 was a great year, but then now, you know, I had open heart surgery at the end of 2022 and had a whole health situation that I had to embrace where I learned some things about myself that I needed to address, which I'm happy to get into. But basically, so 2023 now is another year of pushing forward and and coming at it from a new angle under the guise of, you know, just continuous betterment. So I would just say like a lot of ups and downs, but a lot of great things to show for it. Yeah, I do want to get into that. I mean, that must have given you a crazy new perspective on your what your why, right? Like you're after having going through something like open heart surgery. Yeah, I would say that like the biggest thing for me was just I became really driven. Like I know it's weird, but like from the period when I decided to have the surgery in October to when I had the surgery in December, I was like a man on a mission. Like I like stopped biting my nails, all anxiety went away. Like I was just huh. so focused and it was so weird because then after the surgery all the stress, all the anxiety came back because immediately my mind was just like, okay, got to go back to work. Because when you run your own business, you know, you don't have someone paying you a salary or depending on the structure, but I mean, you don't have like, you have like, I'm the engine of the company. Like I have to get back on my feet and keep going. Like there was no, hey, I could take three months off type of thing. Well, and you started, uh, you started a, is it a, it's a charity or a nonprofit called Hearts of Commerce? Yeah. So thanks for asking. Basically what Hearts of Commerce is, which everyone should get involved with, by the way, because it's a really open book right now. There's no, there's a very simple mission. Hearts of Commerce is basically, so I was diagnosed with a condition called hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. It affects between one in 200 to one in 500 people, regardless of race, color, creed. It's across, you know, just humanity. And so there's many people walking around with it that don't know it, like myself, where it develops, say, in puberty because it's genetic. This is just the, the one form of it, but the main form of it is that. And so I didn't know I had it my whole life. And basically my condition was manifested by like feeling really out of breath when exercising and like not feeling, you know, feeling fatigued in certain situations and not knowing why you felt so bad. And so when you hear of like young athletes or people dying of sudden cardiac arrest, I wasn't at risk for that. But this is the condition, one of the conditions that triggers right. that. And right. so what's so important about this is awareness. Because you can get a simple echocardiogram, like a heart screening, you know, heart scan, or even just getting checked. Like my my primary doctor said, hey, I hear a murmur. And then that led to an EKG, led to an echocardiogram, led to an MRI, and I pursued it. And that's when I was diagnosed. And so it's the kind of thing where through simple routine screening, people can become aware of it. And then what happens is because it's genetic, then you can get the rest of your family checked, or there might be a family history, siblings, cousins, whatever. And so what the charity aspect of this is there's a charity called the HCMA, the Hypertrophic Cardiomyopathy Association. They've been around for a while, like let's just say 20 years. Don't quote me on that. But basically they're headquartered in New Jersey, but they basically are like the leading source on this disease in the United States. And they work with what are called centers for excellence. So like imagine in New Jersey, there's Morristown and then the Mayo Clinic and then the Cleveland Clinic. And then all around the country is these like, practices and hospitals that are more certified to deal with this disease. And so I was fortunate to live near one of those, like an hour away, got paired with a great doctor. And that's how I ended up getting the surgery. So the point of Hearts of Commerce is to raise awareness for the disease in e-commerce because e-commerce community, A, we're a great community. Everyone's so welcoming and inviting to each other. And it's a really big community, yet it's such a small world. 
but we have people from every continent that we all do business with every day. Yeah. And then two, there's a lot of money, right? There's like, think about it. I'm a small self-funded operation, but we're talking, you know, every day you hear about series C, series D. So if I could get even one company or one, you know, like we create mass awareness, you can actually make a difference and an impact and save lot, literally save lives. Because if one person sees this and gets their family checked or gets themselves checked, that could be life-changing or prevent someone from passing away too soon. Yeah. And so Hearts of Commerce is just meant to build awareness. And then eventually I want to do some fundraising. And uh, yeah, so that, that's how I got into it. And so where, I just, where did someone go to learn more? I know, like there's a LinkedIn page. Do they go there or is there? Yeah. So Hearts of Commerce right now is heartsofcommerce.org, but it's literally just the same thing that's on the LinkedIn. And then the HCMA is for number four hcm.org. That's the real charity. I am not starting a nonprofit. I just want to raise awareness in this way. And then if I do do a fundraiser, it'll be explicitly stated, hey, the proceeds from this are going to be donated here for this purpose. And you know, that's that's the just that's the loose form. Because basically yeah. I said, hey, I wanna one of the things is that like e-commerce is a very money for the sake of money kind of world a lot of the time. Meaning like <laughs> everyone, there's small businesses we're empowering businesses, but a lot of the time yeah. it's just like, how can we spend ad dollars to get people to spend their money, to spend more money. You know, it's just a self-perpetuating <laughs> ecosystem, yeah. which that's, is great. That's commerce, society. right? That's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's great for society in a lot of ways, but I also would love to use what the yeah, skill set we good. have to benefit society in a, for using technology to be more beneficial to the world. So that's why I'm excited to ha- have a more altruistic purpose now, which was born out of my own personal experience. So, you know, it's a, just trying to put my best foot forward on that. Absolutely. I'm glad you're okay. Glad you got the the surgery and things are good and it's I'll make sure to put all these links in the show notes as well too so thank you and I and I'm sure like everyone has some personal connection to something and so thanks for the opportunity one in 250 is actually a pretty high yeah that's like this is a lot I thought that was in medical terms that's called common yeah (laughs) yeah yeah that's crazy okay well I want to shift the focus a little bit like this is this has been really good I know you there sorry no 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 well it's good it's I I think you know, the reason, uh, I mean, I, I could talk for hours on it, but I think that if everyone who ha- started a business, like at least just had like one other goal, like one, it doesn't even matter what it is. It could be kids at school that don't have like lunch meals. It could be like kids that don't have beds. It could be heart surgery. It could be anything. But like if every single business had one goal, we could probably take care of every problem in America, right? Like That's it's true. We just need people to have, to see a little bit bigger. So good on you for that. And hopefully it inspires Maybe a couple people listening who, because these are these are business owners who who listen to the show, right? They're awesome. They're yeah, come one, come all. There's no, you know, it's just about yeah. spreading awareness for sure. So now I want to pick your brain a bit on on commerce because you've got a ton it. of background on that. So I want to dive into actually that you I know you work with with Magento, Shopify, Shopware. I want to spend a little bit of time diving into Magento because that's actually something that we historically haven't. Focused a ton on this show, and yeah, I just, you were just, subscriptions, right? You were you were Shopify subscriptions in the past, right? Was that you well, guys, or that was a different company? No, yeah, I mean that's us. Yeah, we have um, we've. I mean, so we started Bold in 2012, and we at one point had 36 apps in the App Store. Subscriptions is yes. a huge one. That's how we've I got, first started Bold was in that context. Yeah, and we got quite big. We still are very big with Shopify, but we also have this. It's almost like two different companies, really. Like we yeah. have this checkout division. And that's not on Shopify because Shopify is actually the yeah, only that's what platform they're known for is their checkout. And and we used to have thousands of stores on Shopify using Bold Checkout. It was like 
early 2020, I want to say, oh, wow. they, they kind of said, no more third-party checkouts. That's I remember so, that. That must have been a really tough moment for you at the time. It was, and at, and well, you know, they they all the brands that were using our checkout, they still are. Like we we power right. some of their largest, like Staples is. Okay, one of their so large it, brands. it was grandfathered in, but it was like this pathway is closed or whatever N- to to new merchants, and yeah. you know they just would have to manually approve it. And I, I mean, like at the end of the day, Shopify is very much a, a payments company. Like they're, if yeah. you listen to their earnings calls, like they more revenue comes through through payments than the platform subscription fees. So. It's strategic. They need to protect it. I, I get it. And if I was Shopify, yeah. I would do the same thing too. So it just it caused us to to really focus on every other platform, which I think is great. Yeah, there's a. I mean, it actually opened our eyes to when you know when you live like within a certain yes a bubble. Platform, yeah, you, you think that's the world, right? And yes. then you your eyes get open, like wow, there's a lot out here as well. Yeah, it's so like, it's like Fallout. You're coming out of the vault after 30 years, yeah. you know, and then you're like, oh man, what's the rest of this world look like? Yeah, so Magento is is in a lot that way, and I'm really excited to like pick your brain a bit about you. You've been with Magento since, so you, since 2010. You said was yeah. the first time you put a shop on it. Yep. So what's that journey been like? Building and building, or like first working with Magento to now running an agency with Magento as one of your main partners. Yeah. So I would just say it's just been good. Like I have so much love for the Magento platform and that ecosystem and the community. And even it's been an obvious journey. We don't need to get into the whole history of it now, but obviously it was owned by eBay at one point, then yeah. Palmyra Ventures, and then it got spun out and bought by Adobe. And then there's been a lot of questions in the ecosystem on what's going to happen. Yeah. But basically, like I've worked with the platform since Magento 1.4 slash 1.9, which was the enterprise edition back then. And so what happened is there was a major architecture shift right before that. So I'm glad I missed that. And then I came in when it was like, you know, the, the architecture that really M1 was known for it came from that time. And then there was a bunch of platform life cycles. It finally got super stable, right? By 1.9 community and whatever that was in enterprise, I forget, you know, 114 or something was like when it hit its golden age. So for example, a lot of the merchants who are still on Magento 1 right now are happily running that version if it wasn't for PCI compliance concerns, which is what you're solving with your company. So anyway, Magento 2 was rolled out prematurely caused a lot of damage to the platform reputation because merchants went too soon. It was buggy. A lot of people's fortunes got affected yeah. by the Magento 2 rollout. And so I don't, that's where the, the, the reputation of the platform took a really serious hit already, you know, in the ecosystem from 2016 to 2018, I would say. And that's when Shopify was like, okay, we're going to start poaching all your customers. You want to come to Shopify Plus? Free for a year, free for six yeah. months. Don't worry about this. No server, no this. You know, like it was the perfect time for, and so Magento's fortunes fell a lot. But what makes it so good and why people are still on it, and I actually wrote an article, I think last year, the beginning of last year, why we are still supporting Magento in 2022, because there are so many businesses using it and what it allows you to do in terms of customization, flexibility, you own your own data, you know, you don't have to answer to a SaaS higher authority who could just suspend your account in the middle of the night for no reason, you know, like you don't have to worry about those concerns. And so a lot of businesses that need more flexibility are highly adept at succeeding on Magento. And so, of course, I'm going to have love for it because I've done so many interesting projects along the way and just really passionate about the ecosystem. And so now we're an Adobe partner since last year. Like I said, I'm a certified expert business practitioner. 
re-upped my certificate this year. So fully invested in the platform. We're actually rolling out our own um, integrations very soon. I have a good announcement coming in the next mm-hmm. week. But yeah, I'm still building the hype train. So I'm not going to talk about it now because I want to bring okay. it to fruition. But the point is, is just fully invest in that ecosystem. And we work with some really cool merchants. I mean, I, we found our ideal client profile in the enterprise space is where, first of all, we work best with the key stakeholders, right? The C-level or the people that answer directly to the C-level yep. and empower them. And then when they have an, usually bigger merchants have their own in-house team, right? Because business reasons demand it. And it's always like, they've had a lot of bad experiences working with some of the big partners sometimes or just other agencies. And then we come in and because we're a group of specialists who have deep platform knowledge, deep platform experience, have seen a lot, basically we slot in so well with teams because then we like help empower them because now they have one more extension of their team that can get something done in a mm-hmm. focused area, whether that's infrastructure or a Hiva project or Hoova, Hiva. You know, like there's a lot of areas where like, so I'm just so passionate because like the, the, the feedback we get is so positive. And yeah. so I'm just trying to figure out how to get into get into more companies like that because I really think that's our sweet spot, and that's what keep, that's also like you said. How do I keep going? How do I, you know, what's my, you know, how do I stay successful? It's it's just like I really have a big appreciation for that, and um, just keeps me fired up, man. So what are some of the working with the different platforms? I'm I'm curious your perspective on what are the the nuances of all the platforms strengths, weaknesses, because you, you also do yeah. work with Shopify and, and Shopware and, and Magento. And so like, how do you see where they all fit? Is it different types of customers, different requirements, different needs? Just how do you look at that? So I got to give props to Shopify first and foremost. I love the platform. I love the ecosystem. Any small business who just wants to get serious about e-commerce, right? I don't think if you're just like some people, $40 a month is a lot, is a commitment, right? But I'm saying mm-hmm. like, if you're willing to spend $40 a month and really immerse yourself in the e-commerce ecosystem. Remember, you're also getting the apps add cost. So I'm always thinking from that perspective. But what I'm saying is it's it's a full business in a box, right? POS system, all of it, and any small business would benefit from starting on Shopify. So for example, I don't just blindly recommend Magento to anyone because there's infrastructure and you're going to need a development team. And anyone who says you don't is lying. Same thing with Shopify. It's always going to have extra support. But the point is, is like, Shopify is just so powerful for what they've done. They've democratized a lot of things that weren't available before. And, you know, I don't, I'm not talking about the whole arm the rebels thing. It's more just like they've built a wonderful ecosystem, right? It's like, I'm, I just literally, I love the fact that you can just market, do what you have to do. For the most part, there's a lot of workarounds and historically, and now they're making the platform a lot more robust and adding all these features all the time and, you know, going after more demographics of serious merchants. And so I would say that I just love what they've done because it, it's, it's like you can create the type of experiences that consumers want and it's like a launching pad versus through my experience in Magento, for example, a lot of marketers get frustrated and it causes a lot of friction with dev teams because you have to get it in a release cycle. You have to mm-hmm. deploy it. With Shopify, you, you can just literally add something and it either works or it doesn't and you can roll it back. You can figure it out. You know, it's like, it still can be harrowing, don't get me wrong, and it can still be really messy, as you've probably seen personally. But I just mean like it's just empowerment is the name of the game. And that's why mm-hmm. so many marketers and so many people come into a company and they're like, why are we on Magento? We need to be on Shopify. Like that's a classic way. Mm-hmm. The reason the churn has happened is also because a lot of people are like only comfortable in the Shopify ecosystem. And that's all yeah. they know. And it's minted so many people's fortunes 
10 times over, right? And like people who successfully exited are now the investors in this generation of apps. And it's just a self-perpetuating success story for everyone. And so big, and then big commerce has been around for a while. I think what's cool about big commerce is it has such a uh, longevity in the ecosystem. And they took a product that was, you know, probably similar story to Shopify, where it was like used as a certain tool and then it became a platform. And so I'm really impressed by big commerce because of the people, their partner ecosystem, their partner team. They really like are real people. And like anyone we've ever worked with there is super nice and empowering. From my perspective, I found it a more closed ecosystem in terms of like harder to move up in the partner world when you have these like entrenched elite partners. And it just was like harder to get traction versus Shopify has the same problem, but it's just so much more ubiquitous that you can still find a place for you or, you know, we've worked our way up in Shopify. For example, we're not an enterprise partner. I'm not a plus partner, but I'm a partner and we do work with plus merchants, but I'm on the outside of the window looking in at the party right now. Like this next yeah. week is this Shopify enterprise summit in LA. And I'm just like, one day we'll be invited, you know? But <laughs> so the point is, is like big commerce, their partner team and the way they work with you. It's like, you can, you really feel like if you put in the work, you'll succeed. Where, where yeah. I've run into problems is when I work on the platform, it's just a different experience than I'm used to. And I'm not a fan as much of the front end side, unfortunately. And I really think that the stencil framework, if they could advance the actual theming and you can build richer experiences that don't feel quite the same, like a lot of the sites on BigCommerce feel the same when you add to cart or certain experiential yeah. feels are the same, but it's open SaaS. So you can build the headless, you can do anything with it. It's just you have to do it the big commerce way. And because we didn't have the volume of projects yet, I haven't been able to like develop a real momentum. But yeah. then at the same time, I have high hopes for it. And obviously, if so many thousands of businesses are moving to it and it's become a natural transition point for a lot of Magento merchants or a lot of certain kinds of merchants, B2B or gun manufacturers, you know, people that sell certain kinds of right. things. Regulated products of any sort. Somewhat. That's one yeah. of the verticals they've gone after. And so like, that's where I see big commerce as a great piece of the ecosystem. And they also have some great ERP connections and they've made some really great strategic partnerships. And for example, they own Feedonomics and Feedonomics is like their Trojan horse into every other ecosystem. And so it's really, really optimistic about that. I just hope yeah. that like, you know how it's a publicly traded company now that it can affect things. But you know, I love the fact that Brent, the CEO is having these town halls and they're so approachable. Totally. Yeah, they are. Yeah. And then where, so the Magento, where, where does Magento fit in? Is there a certain type of like, Oh, I'll get to that. But then we okay. also got to talk about Shopware. Yeah. Shopware is an exciting platform. Once again, we became, I've been trying to become a Shopware partner for like three years. Hmm. And then what happened is when Ben Marks went from Adobe to Shopware, or and there maybe there was a period in between, he was like, you know, the biggest celebrity and he was the evangelist, obviously in the Magento world. So that got a lot of eyeballs. And then they got this hundred million dollar funding from PayPal and Carlisle Group to expand in the US market. And so that's what is currently going on with Shopware, but it's the top e-commerce platform in Germany. 20-year success story. Stefan Heyman and his brother, I'm forgetting his brother's name, I'm so sorry, but it was founded by two brothers who were teenagers in their, you know, in their bedroom making e-commerce. Similar story to Toby, but not exactly the same from Shopify, and then it became the one of the darlings of European business e-commerce. And now they're taking on America and it has a huge open source and developer community too, but they also have a hosted SaaS version in Europe. And mm -hmm. so I'm just excited about it because once again, the target demographic of shopware is similar to the target demographic of big commerce or Magento, 
meaning like people that want the flexibility, but also want a platform that's very forward looking. They have AI built in and just a really, you know, the German way of just doing great production and engineering. And uh, I mean, you know, that's just maybe a cliche, but you know what I'm trying to say. It's very, they're very engineering company in that way. And then, so going back to Magento now, I would just say Magento, once again, will go back to any company that has complex requirements, multi-store, multi-currency, international, needs deeper ERP integrations, you want your own custom APIs, all of that's possible, right? Like the real commerce layer, you know, microservices, you can do it all with Magento. And, um, you know, once again, when you get into the really, 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 really high level use cases, you know, it's like where obviously you're processing hundreds of thousands of transactions or, you know, like really big cases, you always are going to run into certain architectural challenges, but people are solving them and, and it's not like limited. And so I would just say, that's what keeps me excited about Magento. And for example, we have some smaller businesses using it, but they sell a customizable product or something that really doesn't lend itself well to another platform or they've been on it for so long and yeah. why would they change now? Like meaning like this like we have a, a work with a merchant that sells window screens and every product is made to order, so it's all mm-hmm. these dimensions and then custom boxes and a packaging script and an export script. So it's like yes, you could build all this on Shopify because you can always make an app or a third party, you know, like an intermediate tool, but like once again, Magento is what allowed him to succeed. Yeah. Get to this point. I just was talking to a furniture brand that they have a couch that has 35,000 different possible yeah. variations of how you can order it when you do the math of like the legs and the leather and the what like the colors and everything. It, yep. th- there's 35,000 scenarios. So Yeah, I met this amazing so, Canadian furniture brand like EQ or That's actually know. who I'm t- talking about. EQ3. Really? I knew it. E- I had a feeling. There's EQ3. The, yeah. There's yeah, EQ3. Yeah, they have the headless site. Such yeah. a good job, man. I spoke to um I'm trying to see who the, the guy's name was one time. Dan this guy, Dan from EQ3, I don't know if he's still there now, but basically he was like, <laughs> built it. It was his baby. And it's like the most beautiful headless furniture site. And we're having a conversation about Magento. And I was like, don't do it. If you've already built something that works, don't put yourself through the pain of replatforming. Your, art, your site's perfect. Like whatever it is, fix it in place. Because we built a furniture site on Magento and that merchant went through a lot of challenges, logistics, so many other things. And actually... You know, same point, furniture is a really complicated game. But we've, using Magento, we built one of the most incredible tools. It's a virtual gallery. So Amazon came out with the same feature at the same time. So you know it's a great idea when a mega company yeah. does the idea. But it was basically the merchant we're working with had this brilliant idea to make a room, like a, imagine a room view. Transparent PNGs were skewed to look uncanny mm. valley. And then, like you could, we made it so you could swap out the pieces of furniture in the room, save it as an image, share with a friend, have them come in and edit it. Like this fully like interactive virtual gallery feature. That's cool. And it, and it was a custom React application. I framed into Magento too, and we built a full custom API and a backend layer, admin layer, integrated with Magento, and you know, like so it's Magento, like Magento all the way for that one. You know, like once again, you could do that with another tool. But it's beautiful to know that you can extend your commerce platform and build that kind yeah. of experience using Magento. Here's a real small world for you. So the founder and CEO of EQ3 is my cousin. No so, way. Yeah. So oh, yeah. So I, I didn't know that, folks. Well, I wasn't. Was I was going to just say feedback. furniture company, but since you mentioned the exact name, yeah. So, so yeah, your cousin's done, the man. Just plug Peter. for your cousin. I didn't there know. You I, go. I didn't know that relationship, but I really do love your website. 
Yeah, well, I'll, I'll let them know that we and talked I hope about you didn't it. Move on. to Magento because your website was awesome the way it was. But yeah, so then can you speak a little bit about some of the the differences between Magento? You mentioned Magento One, Magento Two. I know Magento One's deprecated. Do- yeah. Adobe Commerce. Yeah, there used to be Magento Enterprise. Yeah, it's very confusing for some yeah, people, yeah. right? So someone's listening and has no idea. They just say Magento, but then there's Adobe. Like, yeah, and also that all- that's what started the beef between the community and Adobe. And now it's pretty, I feel like it's more resolved. But basically, Adobe tried to hide the Magento brand name under Adobe Commerce. So like Magento.com would just redirect you to a page that said Adobe Commerce. And so here's the whole skinny, right? So Magento 1 was Magento. And then there was Magento Enterprise, which was the paid license version of Magento One. So that's what it was. It basically came with additional modules plus support from Adobe and, you know, a a licensing fee versus Magento was a free open source product under a specific license where, you know, you wouldn't have to pay, but you obviously have to run your own infrastructure and so on and so forth. And then with Magento Two, um, there is now Magento 2 open source, which is literally the same open source, what we all know as Magento, right? Household name. Mm-hmm. And then now Adobe Commerce is what was formerly known as Magento Enterprise. And they actually have a cloud edition, which is powered by Platform SH and Adobe and Adobe's in- infrastructure. And then there's the on-prem edition where you can have it on your own AWS, your own architecture or hosting company for the enterprise edition, which is Adobe Commerce. And then now what makes it even more confusing, folks, is there's a fork of the open source called Mage OS. No, like, I haven't heard of that. Okay, so what this is, is it's a new initiative by the Magento community. They forked open source because they want to ensure that the product stays great forever. Just like how on Magento 1, there's people that did forks as well called Mage 1 LTS. And there's another one. I'm so sorry that my mind is failing me right now. But basically, so that's the other cool thing is you have such a passionate community that there's people yeah. making sure merchants are supported, even if the parent company decides to drop support for it, which is not happening. I do feel Adobe's committed. I could be wrong, but I do feel like Adobe's very committed. They've added this team called the Commerce Services Team. They've done more community outreach. Like Meet Magento New York is actually October 8th. So yeah, if this episode I'm- comes out before then, are you going to be there? I'll be there, yeah. Are you? Okay, great. Well, I'll shake your hand in real life. But yeah, there we so... Go. Yeah, the we're, sponsor- is- we're sponsoring the the pre party on the. Oh, I'm uh, going to that. On Monday well, night. Shout outs to Bold Commerce <laughs> and Shipper HQ for that one. But yeah, yeah. But basically, and, and Vertex, um, I think too, is also. Oh yeah, shout outs to Vertex. They're always yeah. they've been a huge supporter in, in the Magento ecosystem for like five years running. See, it's a small world. Hey, like yeah. you can't go anywhere. No, and 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 then <laughs> exactly, and so I would say that's what's so cool about the Magento world is it's like a community of creative people, inventive developers, and it's all driven by like. Once again, if there wasn't businesses using it, that wouldn't exist. So it's like exactly. that's what fuels it is the the actual uh, you know the need. Yeah. And so that's what gets me hyped. I love that. So just in a few sentences, if you had to say why Magento, what would you say to somebody? Freedom, customization, and like own your data, and once again, evaluate it against what your needs are. Right? Do you have sophisticated business? Do you have certain needs? Like if you're a very small team and you don't have certain needs, it may not be the platform for you. But if you, even if you're a small team and you do have certain needs, it could be the platform you. So it's really driven around, I would say, what flexibility and customization you need to achieve your business model and how you feel about SaaS in general, right? Because some people yeah. aren't okay. Like for example, some corporations, their policies or whatever are not 
you know, maybe this has evolved, but you know what I mean? Like some companies are like, no, we don't want our data on this company's cloud account, for example. We want it on our own cloud infrastructure. Well, there's certain businesses in certain countries that they don't want their data in, in stored in actually physically in a certain country for certain yes. reasons. And so there's there's that too. And I know if you're in healthcare, this has actually come up quite HIPAA a bit. Compliance, that, yes. Yeah, you can't have any cl- any any patient data stored on. So that has to like Yeah, that's a big one actually. Nestle uses Magenta, you know, for the record, Nestle owns a bunch of nutraceutical companies and that kind of stuff. And I know some yeah. of them are on Shopify, but also some of the big manufacturing plants and things and those companies are on Adobe Commerce. Yeah. Yeah, so there's there's all that too. We're man, the time is just flying by here. But before we, I want to, I want to, I yeah, know we, we need to cover these topics, man. Yeah, well, we talked about checkout earlier, and I said, hold on, yeah. we're gonna we're gonna still get that. So I want to, I want to, I want to pick your brain a little bit on checkout because a we it's a bit selfish. Yeah. <laughs> we're we're a checkout yeah, well, company, so I always like to hear perspectives on it. So first of all, like let me, I know you mentioned before the show that you you know a little bit about bold. Oh, and you, shout out to Dave McCauley. Best hire you ever made. I mean, you probably all your employees are great, but Dave McCauley, shout outs to Dave, Wonder <laughs> Dave, Super Dave. He's the man. And I feel like that's like, it all makes sense now. When he went to your company a couple of years ago, I was like, okay, sad to see you leave the Magento ecosystem. But now Bold Checkout exists. And I'm like, okay, it all makes sense now. Like he's probably been undercover working on this the whole time with you. <laughs> He's our secret weapon. That's yeah. I well, that's so that's so cool. Did you work with him when he was at, yeah, at Adobe? I met him through the Adobe ecosystem. He worked at Gene Commerce. He invented Page Builder or what became Magento Page yeah. Builder. He was yeah. like a wonder kid or something, but he was just yeah. a really nice, humble guy. Met him through, you know, through the networking there and just always thought he was awesome. And so for example, like how Ben Marks going to Shopware helped put eyes on Shopware. Dave McCauley going to Bold helped put my eyes on Bold, for example. That's amazing. I will absolutely, I mean, I talk to him yeah. almost on a daily basis. So yeah, yeah he is I'm fantastic. Sorry I got I, too excited and interrupted you, man. I'm no, sorry. no. I mean, he's, and actually our, our CTO is also from Adobe as well, too. What's your CTO's name again? Matthew Zimmerman. Matt okay, Zimmerman. yes, he was cool. I, I, I remember he was like engineering manager. He was some, Yeah, I think yeah. like director of engineering. I can't remember. Yeah, some, exactly. One of the, yeah. yeah, that's awesome yeah. because that's where I'm so passionate about Bold Checkout. Because you're literally saving Magento One merchants, right? Like, <laughs> literally, like, because that was the biggest threat. Well, number one, there's other people leaving for different reasons. Like I said, like, for example, ERP connectors or some native yeah. integrations are just not available for Magento One, right? Like, if you want to do certain, I was about to say Apple Pay, but now you could do it with Bold Commerce. Yeah. But I'm saying, like, certain modern things or like, no company is making integrations for Magento One by default now. But that's why I think Bold Commerce is so amazing. Bold checkout, excuse me, is so amazing because you can be a legacy merchant on a stagnant platform, but it's working. You're making money, and now you have a modern checkout, which can do all the things Shopify checkout does. And it's, once again, democratizing checkout because now you have more options. Same thing with Magento 2. There's always been one-page checkouts. And it's funny how Shopify is all about their one-page checkout. And I'm like, man, we had one-step checkout for the whole time in Magento, and everybody thought it wasn't cool. It was just maybe not a great design, but you could customize it, you know, like, like we've had this. So it's so funny that like that scene is like the hottest, newest thing when it's been, been around. But then for example, the, t- the checkouts are kind of tired on Magento, right? It's either this yeah. one page or it's the Lumen checkout and it's not that great. And as you know, checkout is the most important part of the store. And so that's why I'm excited to get really hands-on with bold checkout. I have not used it yet, but for example, there's certain projects where I'm considering it or 
I see it as a way to interface with legacy merchants and perhaps help them stay compliant or whatever they're trying to do. Yeah. And like that's where companies like PayPal and other companies are like helping with that as well. And that's why I think that's one reason why I love the ecosystem because yeah. without companies like PayPal who have their own self-interest or Stripe, right? If it wasn't for Stripe, there'd be no Shopify. If there wasn't for PayPal, a Magento ecosystem would be weaker because PayPal yeah. has been a core feature since forever, you know? Yeah. And, and so I would just say like, that's what has me hyped about it. Man, well, I feel like I just got three solid sound clips right there for the <laughs> for the episode. But I mean, I just want to touch on a few things. There's, it's so cool hearing your perspective and thoughts on things because like, you know, talking about being in the weeds and heads down and focused, but then hearing this feedback from mm-hmm. someone so deep in the community that validates it is is awesome. So thank you for that. That no means problem. Yeah, I really want to see it succeed because people need more options and that's what life's you know, like having great options and companies that are putting out great products actually is better for everyone. Yeah. I mean, so our our mission is like, well, with the Magento one, that's such an interesting thing that you brought that up is is that was actually kind of PayPal pushing that. Yeah. And so we've got a great partnership with PayPal. They if you're on Magento One, like you mentioned, PCI compliance is an issue. A lot of brands are the biggest, largest ones. They they moved off years ago, but there is a lot still on Magento One. I don't know how many in total, but with PayPal, there's over twenty thousand merchants on Magento One who are using PayPal. So for PayPal, it was a little bit of a risk because their checkout isn't necessarily PCI compliant. Most of the cases, it's not. And so PayPal reached out to us and. Basically, the idea was to build their new PayPal commerce platform into Bold Checkout and then give it to M1 merchants. So it actually doesn't cost M1 merchants anything. It's free. Really? So as long as they're using PayPal, I mean, the way that we support it is PayPal gives us a bit of a rev share. And Mm -hmm. so like there's a there's a cost. There's a server cost and API calls, but PayPal is paying that. What and industry isn't subsidized in 2023, right? Like 100%. <laughs> but the but the cool part is it doesn't it's free to the merchant and PayPal is being very very I would say like aggressive with their rates. Like they're trying to win business. Yes. And so yeah, it's it's not like these it's a beautiful time to be a merchant right now. <laughs> right. It's not like PayPal's jacking up the price on processing so that they can cover this PCI compliance with checkout. No, of course. Like Magento One merchants are the farmers of America. You know how like the farmers can't exist without subsidies from you know like PayPal is like that for for legacy merchants with this program. So so our message to to brands is like you don't you don't necessarily have to replatform. Just modernize your checkout. But it's not just more time to make that decision, right? Now you're not making it with a gun. Sorry for being violent (laughs) now. You're not making it with your with a looming. You yeah. know, with the sword of Damocles hanging over your head, because remember, I also look at it this way. So when that whole that whole thing happened, let's just call it once again. That's why so many people were forced to upgrade to Magento two before yeah. it was a valid and mature product. I'm so sorry for those people. And I work and like even myself until two point two, it was like not even like it was really bad. But yeah. then two point three is when it got more stable. But I'm saying like it was a really painful first two years or three years for Magento 2 merchants. And so what happened is PayPal was using intimidation tactics against Magento 1 merchants. Like, oh, we're going to, you know, your store is not compliant. You need to move. And so was Magento. And like, it was a dark time. And it was really like not, I didn't like it for the ecosystem, but there were no better options, right? So what I think was cool about what you've done 
is you've given a better tool. So instead of waving a stick, they can wave a carrot. You've given that carrot to merchants, if you really think about it, because now that's such a softer, more welcoming message than just scare tactics, right? Yeah. Now it's like, hey, you do have a serious situation, but don't worry, we've got your back and we can help. And I just think that's why naturally it's a better fit. Well, and they own it. So, I mean, A, there's a lot of merchants that are perfectly happy on on Magento 1. They've set it up, it's running, yeah. but PCI, being PCI compliant is an issue. And they do want to accept all the wallet pays and the buy now, pay later. That's what I'm saying. You need to be able like, to innovate to go where the consumer is. Yeah, but they don't want to, you know, pay twenty or forty grand to build a whole new they experience. How much it takes? They either don't on principle or they can't afford it. Exactly, but there will be some that do. And then the beauty is 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 the checkout is is headless and modular, like it's it composable, so it can go with you. So you can take it to Magento too. You could even take it to to Salesforce, to Big Commerce. You could take it anywhere you want. Commerce tools. That's yeah. That's what I think is so cool about it, and that's great. And I'm that's why I'm like so stoked about it for your company too, because now it's a more universal product. There is other companies that have tried to do something similar, rise and fall. I know Fast was an example of that, right? They tried to come out to market with a product like this, and they flamed out really quickly. A lot of people lost their job. But the point is, is like, it's a great product. And I love that your company, which was so entrenched in the ecosystem and had such a successful track record in SaaS, it's like, because you did it for the love of the game, yeah. I want to see you succeed. But that's also why your product is going to be better than a lot of people's. Because you didn't just see, oh, there's not just some venture capital play. Like, we see a way to get in the middle of this. We want the fintech money. Like, nah, you did it because... You want to solve problems for merchants because you said you had 35 apps. You know, you yeah. know what people want. And so it's a beautifully marketed product. Like when I look at it, like I once again, that. people I have seen no demo. I've never touched the checkout yet. I'm like, <laughs> like when you've seen a great, but you, get and, you, get, you get you it. You get it. Right? It's like I've seen yeah. this great pie in the window at the bakery and I can't wait to get it home and cut a slice and eat it. That's what I think about bold checkout because like it answers all the right questions. It addresses all the pain points that you can perceive someone of having. And yeah. the part I'm interested about is you have the segmentation feature. So you can actually have a different checkout experience for different customer groups. So imagine I'm Joe Schmo consumer. Yeah. I just don't know any better. Just get in, get out, sell me the widget, you know, Apple Pay. Okay, great. Rise in my house. But then you have Jim Schmo, the B2B customer. Yeah. This guy is more discerning. He needs different payment options. He needs an approvals process. Once again, I'm not saying all these features exist, but I'm saying like that's the whole point is you're tailoring the experience. Great, they do. So I'm saying they're tailoring the experience for the subset. So once again, with a platform like Magento, which has customer groups, that becomes yep. instantaneously possible to trigger off one definitive flag on the customer level. Like this yep. property that I'm talking about customer group just basically means like you can have 50 customer groups. And if I fit into that bucket, the checkout could be slightly different. And it's like, I just think it's cool when your checkout can be segmented because then it also allows for split testing, A-B testing, you name it. It's so cool hearing you talk about this. I mean, actually, I can say this now. This is our first, this concept of what we call checkout flows. Yeah. Different flows for different customers based off of who the customer is, what device they're on, where they're coming from, like what channel are they coming from Instagram? Are they coming from an email? Are they coming from a Google search? We actually have been working for a while to... It's officially patent pending, and this it's it's like it's just mind blowing that to tell a merchant that like you shouldn't personalize your product page; it should be the same. You shouldn't personalize your homepage. Like you shouldn't A/B test any of these pages. Like 
no, we do that. We A-B test everything. We personalize our product pages, personalize our homepages. But then we just dump everybody into this generic checkout and think it should be the same for everyone. And and it really it doesn't work. I mean, it works for a small percentage, but there's the crazy, you know, for people that enter the cart, the global statistic is 70% of people don't finish the checkout. Like that's yep. mind-boggling when you think about it. So a lot of that is because the checkout isn't ideal for that for who that customer is. So one one thing too on on fast, it is unfortunate what happened to them. We actually have some ex fastronauts, I think they were called. Nice, yeah. <laughs> at Bold, I always saw them as a as a different thing than what we are. To be honest, they no, it's I, different. It was going after the more like what what Bolt, not to even yeah. They yeah. they were more of a wallet than yes. uh, than a checkout, and I would have happily said to fast and I've said this to Bolt too like we would integrate fast wallet pay like we have yeah, Apple Pay Google Pay Amazon Pay yeah, the, yeah the whole, 100% like, known, because that's what also the promise of something like Klarna and those ecosystems are as well is like oh we already know who you are here's your checkout like just like Apple Pay right like yeah. you already know all your information makes checkout faster like that was the, the point right and we are agnostic to payments we're not a wallet there is no bold pay yeah so that's one big difference between and between us and, and a bolt. Bolt wants to be the payment button. Yeah, they we don't want to exactly like they want that slice of the pie, right? And once again, that's where once again I have to say I'm a big fan because you're doing it more for the love of the game. Obviously, every company has targets and things, but I'm saying like you guys are real commerce people and not just you know, hey, we're fintech people, and I think yeah. that makes a big difference. Well, thank you. I it was honestly the way it was born was a hundred percent. So we, I talked earlier about our agency side of our yeah, arm. So go? we back in two thousand. All right, now you're in the hot seat. All right. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll like so we st- we started bold in two thousand twelve. Had a bit of an agency. Shopify. Um, you used to be able to do any third party checkout you you wanted on Shopify, and we kept getting brands emailing us asking us for a custom checkout. The first one we built was for Time Life. Oh, Time Life, Matt, like the... Um, yeah, they did like d- DVDs and it okay. would be like five easy payments of nineteen ninety nine. Like that was their oh, model. Oh, like the Columbia, yeah, yeah, like the yeah. buy the records, yeah. And there was no way to do a checkout on, on Shopify where you like bought the DVD kit, like, you know, like the whole encyclopedia thing and you do eight payments of $19.99 oh, so subscri- That's where the subscriptions business well, came Well, the subscriptions too. came later, but we built this, we built this checkout for, for Time Life. Then, you know, a month later, Sheft, which is a company in New York, I, I don't okay. know if they're still around or if they're in New Jersey, but anyways, they're like a meal plan company and they needed to have multiple stored credit cards. Like there was no way to store credit cards on Shopify forever until Shop Pay kind of came around. But like, you know how when you shop on Amazon, yeah, you, you couldn't see, do vaulted payments. Correct. You, you, you can see all like all your credit cards. I want to put this one on the yeah. Visa, put this one. Mm-hmm. So we built them a custom checkout that did oh, that. We, we kept building different checkouts for brands. And then eventually we said, well, we should build. A checkout frameworks that we can use internally. It's a little mm-hmm. bit of a platform that has everything. It's like an accelerator. It has everything ready to go as far as like taxes. We don't need to replicate taxes every time. Shipping fraud, like all of the things that also you're passing value to more consumers too. Like to more of your right. customers get more value because then they're not paying for more development every time. Correct. So we built it to use it internally, and then eventually we had agencies asking if they could use it. And so we nice. productized it and that became bull checkout. We ended up shutting down our agency side. Like we don't do any yeah. zero custom development at all. It's all partners that implement awesome. it. And so, but you're bang on, like it came out of 
a love for the problem and the space. And it was actually not even, and this is why I love it so much. Like it wasn't, we didn't sit around one day and say, hey, we should build a checkout. It was customers asking for it. Yeah, it was born from need and like the market demanding it. Yeah, which I mean, we're very fortunate, but because of that, it was, you always want to validate your product and it was uh-huh. like was in a scenario like that. So anyways, it's, so I mean, I, one of the questions I wanted to ask you was being with your experience in, in, in Magento in the space, like how do you see the the need for something like this and any thoughts on, on that? Yeah. So no, I, like I said, the need, so consumers need choice, right? We live in a yeah. world where there's a monopoly on everything, right? We're living well, oligopoly. We live in a world of oligopolies, right? Like you only have so many options for your cell phone provider, so many options for your gas station, so many options for you name it. Your choice is more of an illusion. And so when it comes to e-commerce platforms, which once again, remember, win-win, win-win situation, because you're not just the technology company. It's not just the, co- the brand using it. It's their customers, right? Like you want better options for the shoppers. And yeah. so because of that, I love what you're doing because it creates, it forces other people to innovate. And so once again, I just think it's great that it's platform agnostic, but slots in well with the specific platforms that people have the need on it. And then two, it's, it's once again forcing other companies to maybe rethink their strategy or innovate. Because yeah. for example, right, and I don't mean to turn the question, but you know how you had the subscriptions engine and that's how I knew about your company. Mm-hmm. And then Recharge came to market or Recharge was in the space once again. And they became an 800 pound gorilla in the room. But then guess what? Now there's, multiple new subscription companies, which were partnered with some of them, they forced them to innovate, right? Or now, hey, another company comes along and says, hey, we're going to offer memberships and do subscriptions this way. Well, guess what happened one year later? All of them came out, you know, the other people evolved. So once again, it sucks. And like you said, it's a cutthroat business where there's always competition. But at the same time, that competition can be great for the industry or great for the end consumer or great for the consumer. I very much think so too. And in the the end... Consumers get a better product, and I think the you know the the cream rises to the top. Yes. So we worked with Shopify. We we done subscription with Shopify since 2014, and you used to always have to use a different checkout. Shopify couldn't vault cards, so there was no way to yeah, do so it. That's why Recharge had their own checkout too, for example. Correct. It was just us and Recharge for six years. There was no yep. other subscription app on Shopify, and we worked with Shopify quite close to actually help them do subscriptions in their checkout. And it was about a two-year process. And we started in 2018. They officially launched in November 2020. But so we were the launch partner that it was actually us and Payworld recharge recharge eventually did November 2020. The ability to do subscriptions in Shopify checkout. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that was the big like I remember that now. Yep. And then we launched day one with that. We actually worked with them to help them modify their checkout to be able to work. And there's a lot of nuances. It's not just vaulting cards. It's it's like all kinds of considerations for shipping. Like if someone orders something like Express on the first one, should it be Express every month or no? Or yeah, how do you so many permutations when you change a price on a product? Should it change for every subscription or should it not? Or should it just change for some? Yeah, because is it a contract? Yeah, like I always have questions like to do. Is it a did you make an implicit contract with the customer that it'd be the same price every time? You know. So these were all the things that needed to be. And so now, because it is quite easier to do subscriptions on Shopify, I don't even know. Like there's probably 60 or 70 subscription apps. Like every week there's another one. And to be honest, like there probably isn't room for that many. There's probably room for like a dozen 
And there's going to be like the ones that are good for like the enterprise and the ones that are free and simple, but like there's too many right now. And I think yes. the dust will settle. And that's, that's just how that's good. That's, that's how it is that you get good products and you get a few, a handful of winners, right? So, yeah. And, but also, I was going to, I actually had this thought too is like, I think winner take all is bad, right? Like, you I don't agree. need to have winner take all mindset in business. It, that's where we talk about cutthroat behavior. That's where it's like, why, like, not why, like, everyone wants to win competition, you know, naturally capitalism, whatever, right? Like, we're not going to get into the whole philosophy of that. But I just yeah. mean, like, winner take all creates this mentality of like, I have to crush my competition or I have to do this. And it's like, well, there's a big enough space where everyone can have a slice of the pie to a certain degree. And the ones that are building a quality product, I feel like should be celebrated because then it creates a better atmosphere. You know, like I can't tell you how many times that in just every vertical, right? Like for example, taxes, Vertex, Avalara, tax jar, now Stripe bought tax jar. Tax jar goes away. Bad for the merchants because you can only get Avalara on Shopify Plus. So what are smaller merchants to do? Now there's some new company. Once again, I forgot the name, but I'm about to partner with them. Didn't even know they existed. 79 bucks a month. Never have to think about taxes again as a DTC merchant. That's yeah. what I'm talking about, folks. Because yeah. now it makes Avalara have to innovate more or go down market a little bit to compete. Yeah. And, and yeah. once again, like you see that across every vertical time and time again. Yeah. It's not a zero sum game, right? Like it's no. not and we we at one point had 36 apps. We've we've gotten a lot more focused. We don't oh, wow. we only have eight public right at the moment. But like someone would would say, "Well, who's your competitor?" And I would say, "Well, everyone, but they're also yeah. our partners." Exactly. <laughs> like I don't think in those terms. Like I don't so like I try not, I try not to. Like you still have the the friendly competitive you know, you have that competitive spirit. But you, everyone's still people, right? Yeah. At the end of the day, and, we're all and, people trying to just so succeed. You mentioned Recharge. Like I know Sheen quite well. He's the founder and CEO of Recharge. Nice. Before Recharge, he had a company called Bootstrap Heroes. We were really good friends, and we actually like oh, he had about four or five apps, and we would we were early developers for Shopify in 2012, and we would actually talk about once a month because we had to push Shopify to release APIs to allow us to do things, and so yes, our subscription app competes with Recharge, but then we also integrate. Our upsell and bundling apps with, with recharge for subscription. Exactly. So it's not it's not a you can't think like that. Otherwise, as soon as you think it's a zero sum game, winner take all, I think that's the beginning of the end for your for your business. To be honest, but that's also the beginning of the end for society because <laughs> think about it: if airplanes, yeah. if airports didn't use a mutual language, if you know, if there wasn't right. all these collaborative interfaces, for example, if the U.S. government didn't have a line to the government of Russia or China. The world will be a more dangerous place, which is already, you know, doomsday clocks at like 1159 or whatever. It's scary times. But I'm saying, thank goodness for yeah. protocols and not to get so comparing it to that. But yeah, I'm saying yeah, it's the yeah. same thing for you. Like, once yeah. again, if you guys didn't have the, I'm just going to call it the subscription commerce business association, where you and him had a great relationship so that you could both advocate for your needs to a larger power at Shopify. Well, then guess what? You wouldn't have got those API changes done, which would have yep. been bad for the merchants, bad for the consumers, bad for the platform. Yep. So I just think that collaboration is so key. For example, I'm in a there's an e-commerce partners network. Shout out to Sarah from Yachtpo and Megan from Retention.com. It's basically like a community where every month a different tech partner and agency partner sponsors a happy hour in New York and LA. And it's this really inclusive community. And I've met yeah. so many other agency owners and so many great people. 
and like and they probably share they share ideas, right? And yeah, and it's the same way in the Magento world. Like you know, like there's so much of that behind the scenes and even in front of the scenes, and where it's like very important for that. Where once again, yeah. it's like you can't be all kumbaya moments, but there has to be there. Ha- like that is actually yeah. what the the image, you know, like that's what should be portrayed, and I think that's what's so important. Because same thing hey. with developers, right? Like there's communities and Slacks and Shopify. You know, Shopify has a super active Discord with tens of thousands of people in it or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I feel like we could talk forever. I feel like we could too. I'm going to have to have you on my podcast one day. Yeah, absolutely. Before we get too out of time, I know you said you had a bit of time, but I, we could, don't want to talk all day. But I like to end every episode with with a lightning round. Let's do it. I ask everyone the exact same six questions. I'm eventually going to put this all in a blog post where I have like every guest's answer to number one, every guest's answer to number two. So it's not one word, it's one thought. So I'll ask each question and just give one one thought on that. Okay. Are you ready? Almost. I'm just getting <laughs> my attention span back. All right, yeah, I'm ready. Bring it in. I'm closing all my tabs. I'm good. First question. What is the biggest mistake in e-commerce you've made or you see merchants making? Penny wise and a pound foolish. Oh, I love that. I actually used that exact saying last week. Yeah. Love it. See it all the time. Yep. Do you have a pet peeve when you shop online? Just, I mean, it's so stupid to say bad experiences, but like the pet peeve is just deceptive practices or when something is like is preventing you, you know, like when there's some artificial barrier, yeah. that's probably annoying. Yep. And you could that could be spun so many ways, but yeah. I know what you mean. The fake countdown timers and th- like things that aren't. Yeah, like stuff like that. Like, I mean, granted it, it's psychological, but yeah, I would just say things like that are probably my biggest pet peeve or when something is like a big company and it's such a bad thing and you're like, how are you such a big company and X, Y, and Z isn't fixed? You should hire my company. But of course, there's no way to reach that guy, right? Like yeah. that, that's, and that's, and once again, that's, so, that's partially as a shopper, but partially as someone who, you know, yeah, peels back the onion. What's your favorite thing about your job? Getting to meet people from all walks of life, getting to help people. I really feel validated when something we do is bring success to another that's really what fuels me is like, because if we do something and then it goes in the garbage, it's actually really sad. Or yeah. it's like, if we do something and something goes wrong, take it personally. You know, so I would just say my favorite part of my job is the people I've been able to meet, the fact that I get to be around my kids and work remote. And I was doing that way before the pandemic, you know, like that, those things. And then also I have like lifelong relationships that I've made just through being in the e-commerce world. Or I have people that I've worked with for five years, have never met, but then we're still close or we form a real friendship. And then when you do meet in person, it's like, wow. You know, like I had that the other day. I met a client who I'd worked with since in 2016 and 2017 and 2018. And we like, you know, got pretty close. We had, we, you know, we've developed a great working relationship, but we never met in person. And so once that happens, it's just like, because it's universal, I've been able to, I mean, I'm not, I have not been to Canada. I've not been to Mexico. So maybe you're the guy that's going to get me to Canada. Jay. <laughs> there we go. Because yeah. I'm from New York. So obviously I don't know why I haven't been to Canada. But you're not that far. Work, work brought me to London. I got to meet the wonderful UK e-commerce community. Shout outs to Paul Rogers, John Woodall, and the Clayboo team over in, in London. So I've got to spend some time there because of e-commerce. And then also I said I went to Switzerland earlier in the podcast and I wouldn't have got to go visit Switzerland and see my family in Bern if I didn't get to go to Switzerland for work. And so, and now there's this Italian company called Shop Circle, which you probably know, they're a competitor. Yeah. But like they make apps and whatever. They actually, it's public. They actually acquired a bunch of our apps. So, okay, great. And they're, so, still, and they're still called Bold. 
Like they're, but their shop circle is operating them. Well, then shout outs to that because, I'm, <laughs> uh, for example, I am Italian and Jewish in my heritage. And I feel like the fact that there's these two young entrepreneurs from Italy and we're partnered with Shop Circle, and I didn't know that, but I'm like, this is my calling. Like e commerce is going to bring me to my homeland and I'm going to see Southern Italy one day because of Shop Circle. Like I'm just going to, I'm connecting the dots in my mind. So, you know, once again, e-commerce is just transformative for so many people. And literally from any, on any level, you can get into it. Like I'm trying to yeah. get my kids just to be interested in it. Not because I want them to be these young entrepreneurs, but I just want people to know like, and it's also in the fabric of everything. Yeah. Like it's a joke. Like, you know, I have a joke with some people, but basically like everything is e-commerce nowadays. <laughs> you really it is. What's your favorite online store or last place you bought something if you don't have a favorite store? Okay, P's and Q's. I'm just gonna. I, obviously, everyone buys from Amazon, so I'm not gonna talk about Amazon. But I do enjoy the benefits of Prime. But there's a store in Philadelphia called P's and Q's. It's a local uh, clothing retailer, boutique. P's like literally, mind your P's yeah. and Q's. P's and Q's dot com, and they're in Philly, and they just make really cool uh, their own house brand. Like okay. they have these really cool designs and shirts. And I once went to like a launch party for someone else there, and just and, and my family in Philly, and so. I just fell in love with that company and how they do things. And so when I'm subscribed to their email and whenever they drop something new, I'm liable to probably buy it. And so I, I would it. just say that's my favorite. Like once again, it could go in any direction, but yeah, yeah, around, yeah. that's the answer. Yeah, 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 yeah. I haven't heard of them. I'm definitely going to check them out. What's the number one you think, thing you think stores should be doing to grow sales, but they're not? Oh boy. All right. Definitely some kind of CRO practices, right? Like heat mapping and shout outs yep. to heatmap.com. Or heatmaps.com. Don't quote me on that. But he, I think is that your favorite tool, by the way? Heatmaps.com or heatmap? It's okay. new, but I really believe in the founder and the mission they're trying to do. But so that's one. And then I also really think that, so obviously CRO and split testing and that type of stuff is important. But then also mobile, really bullish on mobile and like investing in a mobile channel. And then on top of that, just one thing also is surveys and feedback. Like you can actually yeah, collect customer feedback in a very, cost-effective way. Once again, shout-outs to Vervant. They make this app called Census on Shopify. $10 a month for the paid plan. But literally, you can have in-journey surveys and post-purchase surveys, and they summarize. You can get summaries. They're using AI to do review mining on it. It's sick, man. Like Every Shopify merchant can afford that if they're doing any kind of volume. Hmm. Okay, I'm going to make sure I add all these to the show notes too. That's awesome. Last question. You're a business owner. Uh, most of the people listening are also business owners. They own their own their own shops or their partners. Do you have any favorite advice or quotes or something you live by that you like to share to end us off on? Oh man, I have a good one. The advice I have to business owners is once again, never give up. Believe in yourself. Mm-hmm. Like that spirit of of that is so important. And also taking a moment to take care of yourself. I know it's cliche, but really do getting a good night's sleep can sometimes make, you know, like it's always darkest before dawn. Every night, sometimes I'm like stressing out. It's like 11, 12, and I don't feel like I've gotten somewhere. But then I like have taught myself, okay, if you go to bed, sometimes you wake up, you feel better. And I would just say like something about being resilient is the number one thing as a business owner. And then two, do ask for help. Everyone wants to help. Yeah, You can't suffer alone. There's so many generous people with their time in this community. And so I think that's the other key thing is don't, you know, build a support network, have friends, have invested people. And then also like if you have a family or, yeah. you know, the people supporting you, 
they like even if they don't understand what you do, they still want to see you happy. Yeah. And so it's like find ways to just keep that in the back of your mind. Once again, it's so easy to say that. And so I, I'm not trying to be like, oh, everything's all good. But at the end of the day, like that's what we have as people as at our disposal. So we might as well benefit from that. At the same time, is you know, there's challenges that are really hard, like personnel and other logistical challenges that businesses have. People with physical businesses. So great way to end this. I have really enjoyed this. Thank you for being so generous with your time. We went way over, which Thank is okay you as well. Because I told you that <laughs> if was it wasn't happen. good content, I would have cut it off. You know. So yeah. just to end off, where can people find you? Where do you want to send them? And maybe what social platforms are you most okay. active on? Thank you. So appreciate the opportunity to self plug. LinkedIn is where I'm the most active for business content. Mayor Bianchi, you can look me up there. The company is B Meyer LLC on LinkedIn, not as active. And then on Twitter is the other platform I'm active on at Mayor B. And then I've also recently started a public facing Instagram, just Mayor Bianchi, because that's where I'm going to promote some of the heart chat awareness and try to build mm-hmm. the whole personal brand. And it's really hard, by the way, because I'm a millennial but like a mid-stage millennial and I don't <laughs> like necessarily putting my life in public, but yeah, it's a skill yeah. we all have to learn to adapt yeah. in this world as entrepreneurs. Yeah. I will make sure to add all those links as well to the, to the comments. Thank so, you. Yeah, this has been a pleasure, Jay. Absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for being on. Yeah, really great meeting you and thanks. That's it for another episode of Own Your Commerce. If what you've heard has helped you in any way, I'd love it if you'd leave us a review in iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast. It's a new podcast and reviews really help spread the word. And if you know someone you think that might benefit from this podcast, share it with a friend. If you'd like to learn more about Bold, visit boldcommerce.com. You can view all our past episodes. And if you have a story you'd like to tell, we'd love to have you on the show. You can apply to be a guest or suggest a guest on our website as well. That's all for now. And we'll see you next week. 